0: Jesus sighed. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31 through verse 37. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf, and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. We're all aware that Christmas is this Saturday. It's during this week that Charlie Brown will air on televisions across America, if it hasn't already. I grew up watching a Charlie Brown Christmas special, as well as reading the comic strip in color in the weekend edition of my local newspaper. Even today, I still enjoy Linus's theology lessons, Snoopy's ingenuity, and Lucy's sassiness. But what is most memorable to me from both the comic strip and the TV special is Charlie Brown's exasperated sigh when something goes wrong, or he's feeling bummed out. This sigh usually works itself out in words. Good grief. That sigh resonates with each of us, probably. We sigh all the time, usually without words. A sigh is pretty versatile in what it can communicate. A sigh can communicate just about any emotion on the spectrum. It might convey pleasure or satisfaction, relief or grief, sadness or disappointment, frustration or despair, weariness or boredom, or it could be a combination of different emotions all at once that are indescribable. We turn on the news and we sigh at all the problems and perversity in the world, a sigh that communicates good grief. We receive unexpected news that a loved one has died, and we sigh with grief too great for words. We sigh at the thought of a family member who constantly makes the same mistake again and again, which inevitably hurts those closest to them. We sigh at our own failures and flaws, too. In Mark chapter 7, verses 31-37, to 37, we read of a day when Jesus sighed. A man who was deaf, which caused him to have a speech impediment, was brought to Jesus by some of his friends. After Jesus took the man aside privately, he looked up to heaven and sighed. It's really easy to pass over that phrase and think nothing more of it. But I want to point it out to all of us because it's so significant to understanding Jesus, his heart, his mission, and his gospel. Some commentators suggest that Jesus' sigh was merely a wordless prayer directed to his father as he looked heavenward a quick breath for blessing and power to do what needed to be done to heal this man's disabilities. While I do believe Jesus looked heavenward to pray to his Father, I think there's more to him sighing than an inaudible prayer. Let me show you what I mean using some scripture. The Greek word for sigh that Mark used in verse 34 is pretty rare but illustrious in the New Testament. Typically, you'll see the word translated as groan. Paul uses this word in two great passages, which mention the future hope of believers. The first passage is in Romans chapter 8, where Paul uses this word two times in writing about future glory. In verses 18 to 21, Paul addresses how creation was impacted by the consequences of the fall, how creation is currently in bondage to corruption. Then, in verse 22, Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, sighing, Together in the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan, sigh inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What's Paul's point in using this word in this way? Creation and the Christian know that all is not right in the world because of the fall. And together, creation and the Christian. Sigh with longing for everything to be made right. The second great passage where Paul used this word for sigh or groan is in 2 Corinthians. There he writes of a heavenly dwelling the believer is awaiting. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 4. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens." For in this tent we groan, sigh, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, sigh, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. In both Romans chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is getting at the deep longing for a better world, a better life where frustration, grief, despair, and death are no more. Another significant use of this word in the Greek Bible appears in the Old Testament, the Septuagint, from the pen of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 35.10. The prophet Isaiah looks forward to the day when The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing, same word, shall flee away. Remarkably, this promise is given in the context of the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame leaping, and the mute singing, according to Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. So, Going back to the end of Mark chapter 7, I hope you can begin to comprehend what Jesus' sigh is expressing. Jesus' sigh conveys exasperation and frustration, not at the disabled man before him, but because of the disability of this man, a consequence of living in a cursed and fallen world. When Jesus sees people suffering from things like disease, deafness, disaster, distress, and death, Jesus is deeply moved and stirred within, so much so that his emotions spill out in a sigh. Jesus sees his creation subjected to the curse of sin, and it frustrates him. It grieves him. Like creation and God's redeemed children, Christ, too, longs for all things to be made right again. He strongly desires everything to be as he first created it to be. In Genesis chapter 1, All things are very good in his sight. But here in Mark's gospel, everything is very wrong and his heart aches. We see his heart opening up to pour out his compassion on those who are sick, suffering, sinful, and shepherd-less. His sighing helps us to further understand and appreciate not just his heart for those bruised and broken by the fall, but also his mission and the end goal of his gospel. The Father did not send his only Son into this broken mess of a world to leave it as it is. The mission of Jesus Christ, both on earth and now in heaven, is to make all things new. The gospel, the goal of it, in a simple word, is restoration. Indeed, the whole movement of history is one of restoration. From Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 22. We have the unfolding of God restoring all things through the person and work of his Son to a perfect and gloriously beautiful condition. It doesn't take too much effort for us to notice things aren't right yet in our world. No doubt sometime last week or even this morning you found yourself sighing because of what's going on in the world or in your own life. But take heart. When we sigh over the brokenness of this world that we live in we're in good company. Jesus sighs with us. More than that, though, he's restoring everything that is ruined. He is making everything new. Today, you may be sighing and groaning over your own brokenness or the broken mess we live in. At times, we despair. But Jesus repairs, so we will declare that he has done all things well. So, let us today turn our sighing Into singing, let our hearts praise the name of Jesus Christ and let our lips proclaim to all that he mercifully and mightily restores us from the fall.